Hey, it's finally November. Take a breath. It's been a really long slog. Welcome to the post-midterm election episode on The Leftscape. Hi, this is Robin Renee, and you are listening to The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. Hi, this is Mary McGinley. Hi, this is Wendy Sheridan, and welcome to November. Um, and November has a lot of uh, monthly awareness things that we yes, want to make you aware of. Month. So, Mary, another monthly month. Take it away. <laughs> Yeah. What are we aware of this month? Uh, in November, National Novel Writing Month. So is that some called uh, Nano-Wee? Nano-Remo. Nano-Remo. Yes. Oh, okay. I know so quite a I, few people that are doing that, too. That's really a, a, an intense time for a bunch of yeah, folks. Yeah, I'm just glad Inktober's over. <laughs> so I don't have to draw every day. Oh, Inktober. Like <laughs> Yeah, and I guess it's good that it's November because it's starting to get cool. You want to go inside, have a cup of tea, and start to write. I started to write. I actually did. I wrote a short story yesterday. So you're getting a jump on it. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's supposed to be. You're supposed to put. You're supposed to write fifty thousand words for November. And and oh really? Yeah. Usually, and it and they don't say they say just look for the word count. Don't make it great. Yeah, you know, I guess but December I write, is National Rewriting Month or something. I don't know. But I write longhand. Uh, oh. I don't write on the computer, so. And somehow that's how it has to work for me. But I use okay. the Pomodoro method. So, okay. Do you know You'll what that eat, is? No. Uh, Pomodoro is a little timer that looks like a tomato. And you, that's why it's called that. So you, you just write for 25 minutes, then have a break for five minutes, and then write for 25 minutes. And there, there's oh. a whole method to it. Okay. okay. Well, cool. what else is this month for November? National No Shave Month. Oh, I think <laughs> that would be interesting <laughs> to have my husband do that. He'd end up looking like Santa Claus by the time September, uh, December comes. National <laughs> Impotency Awareness Month. Um, is that because it's it's our election month? Like they're implying that we're impotent to change the course of the nation, or so. or is it, <laughs> or is it, or is it uh, because everyone in Washington can't get it up without a little blue pill? Yeah, I think it could be both of those things. Yeah, but I do feel a bit impotent uh, as the as the um, elections happen. Okay. Yeah, uh, we're recording this before election day. Uh, it will air after election day, so you'll hear you'll hear in our voices how this happened. And <laughs> later I, know, in the show. I know you. I know you guys are being funny, but also as the as the advocate for healthy sexuality, I think it's an important thing to be aware of. And you can yeah. also, yes, you know, it's a real thing. And I think that yeah. there's a lot of social, psychological, maybe physical issues that could be happening. And I hope that men, you know, 
can be well. <laughs> so yeah. let me just say I that. Yes. I okay. Okay. Well. Yes. You you ha- you have a point, but I also it, to to push back on this. It's they've done a lot more research into men's sexual health than they have into women's sexual health. Well, that's health. true. And, that's up. Yeah. So it 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 kind of it, it makes me just a little um, biased, I guess. <laughs> Hey, you know what else? You know what else month it is? It's a vegan month, so that makes a lot of sense since there's it's a um, a time since we're eating turkey. (laughs) Since this is the time of the great turkey slaughter. Since we have all these (laughs) nice vegetables out and lots of um, squash and things, so it's the month to try being vegan. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's see, National Native Heritage Month, uh, National Gratitude Month. Adopt a senior pet. It's a particular week this week. It's Animal Shelter Appreciation Week. So go and give some dry cat food to your animal shelter. And or money. Or money. Or, or, or use ta- old towels. They like those too. Oh, do they? Oh, that's a good idea. National Fig Week. Oh, we're going to have to get some figs. So yesterday, November 7th, uh, the first Wednesday in November is National Stress Awareness Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, that makes a lot of sense <laughs> if you just had an election, yeah. I would say. <laughs> stress uh, release or stress just dealing with whatever an outcome. Someone's going to be stressed, for sure. Um, and today uh, is National Cappuccino Day, National Harvey Wallbanger Day. What's in a Har- Harvey Wallbanger? Do you know? Something sweet. I, okay. I, I forget what it's called. Yeah, that's not one of the ones I've I've had. Anyway. I don't think I've ever had yeah. one. So I have. I don't remember though what was in it. Right. A National STEM Day. STEM STEAM. STEM. Uh it's it's uh STEM is what? science, technology, engineering, right. math. And what is STEAM? And STEAM is science, technology, engineering, arts, man. I did not, I had never heard (laughs) STEAM before, so that's... Yeah, we're trying to, we're trying to get STEAM, we're trying to get the A back into the STEM curriculum because the arts are actually useful for the other things as Mm -hmm. well. I agree. Having both a a science and an an arts background and interest, I feel like I, I wouldn't be balanced without both of those things. It, the arts the arts fuels creativity and you're not going to be able to design the solution to whatever engineering problem you're trying to solve without having the ability to think artistically mm-hmm. at least Im- imagination you know yeah and and yeah. design you know that is cool <laughs> so, to be able to picture things yes and it is intersex day of remembrance and that is a really important one. I um, can you explain that a little? Intersex? Yeah. Or remembrance. What, what do they mean? Oh no! And what does intersex day mean? Or what does intersex mean? Uh, intersex is the state of having been born with um, characteristics of male and female. Oh. Okay you know, body parts or, or whatever. So it could be internal, it could be chromosomal, it could be genitalia. And one of the really challenging things is that a lot of people who are visibly intersex at birth have been 
they they get operations before even sometimes before the parents are aware, and they're just told, "Oh, it's a girl," you know. When in reality, they're it's yeah, there 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 was ambiguity, and so a lot more parents are starting to insist upon like having doctors leave their kids alone and let them decide how they want to be if they want surgery later or if they don't need they don't want it at all or whatever but um so being aware of you know allowing people to be who they are and make their own decisions and recognizing that we're not there are plenty of people in in between what there was a there was a really great article that or maybe it was a long twitter thread that talked about a gender spectrum and that there's really how like how earlier in um maybe this cent or the the 20th century or even before that there were uh they decided there's two buckets male and female um however the data doesn't always fit into those two buckets so there's there's stuff that happens at a genetic and a and a um and a physiological level that that while most people fall into one of those two buckets there are plenty of people that don't fall into those two buckets they're in between or they're out on the on the outside it's like this whole uh it's not like a bell curve it's like a a two hump curve kind of thing um it kind of looks like a very it, it kind of, I guess it looks like a, a two hump camel kind of, so it's got like two, two, um, high points and then a curve that connects them and then goes down to zero at, at mm-hmm. either end. And this and, is, this you're talking um, about biological sex more than gender identity, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. This is, this is biological. And that, and I think that's kind of what intersex is about. That's what, when people use the word intersex, it's like, these are people that don't fit in the male mm-hmm, or female mm-hmm. bucket. One of the things I just read recently you know, is that the number of intersex babies that are born is about the same as redheads. But oh, we wow. don't say wow. redheads don't exist or redheads need to be changed somehow, you know? So that Well, I don't know. I I I hear I hear there's a lot of uh of discrimination against that, gingers. That in could certain be areas true too. That's <laughs> different. And, and and it could and ginger could be one of those f- terms that I might that may be offensive to them that I'm using without in ignorance. Mm. Um, you know, but yeah, I, and and it's kind of always said with with like um, it's almost a joke, but maybe it's all, they're they're they you know they turn it into a joke because there really is some underlying discrimination mm. against redheads. I don't know. Maybe um, I don't. I don't want to do the oppression Olympics yeah. and who has it worse. But I, I don't. But that's no, I'm no. Okay, we won't. We won't. <laughs> um, but I also I, I have the uh, Intersex Day of Remembrance Wikipedia page up right now, so I can um, just let you know that it's that it's this day because it is the birthday of Herculine Barbin, a French intersex person whose memoirs were published later on. Um, in and he, and this person was and they were in lived in the eight, mm. in the nineteenth century. So um, you know this has people have been aware of intersex. I guess they were calling intersex people hermaphrodites. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I mean, that's what the name of the book was: uh, the memoirs of a nineteenth-century French hermaphrodite. So. 
so the the international community decided to pick this day for the intersex day of remembrance nice. so. okay. beautiful and sunday november 11th is also veterans day uh, which is observed on monday november 12th so that is our days this week yeah november 11th is because that's uh armistice yes. day for world war one mm. mm. oh shall i talk about on this day what happened uh, 18, 1895, Wilhelm Konrad Groten discovers X-rays. Röntgen. It's spelled Roten. Yes. Röntgen. It's Röntgen. Oh. I know. I might have, did, might oh, have left a G-O okay. in the notes. <laughs> <laughs> so he discovered X-rays. And... Röntgens. And that's, and that's actually a Röntgen, I think, is a unit of oh, radiation. okay. Well... I think... I think I may be Speaking wrong about as, that. Speaking uh, as one of this um, group who's most recently had an X-ray, uh, <laughs> I'm glad that that was my turn. Oh, a 1923 Adolf Hitler and other members of the Nazi Party attempt to overthrow the current government by marching to Berlin. This is interesting that this is all happening uh, in November. Um, <laughs> also, the coup was unsuccessful, and Hitler was captured and imprisoned for two years. Ooh, let's hope that history repeats itself in that part. Well, let's hope not, because he during those two years, I believe oh. he wrote Mein Kampf. Well, <laughs> let's let's hope that if anybody <laughs> tries to do a coup over the government, um, and and they're Nazis, that they're not they're Hitler, Nazis, <laughs> uh, that they get stopped. Okay. Yes, that and I can. Then also, I agree. <laughs> Also, in 1939, there was a failed assassination attempt on Hitler. Hmm. Boy, this is not a good day for Hitler. Um, <laughs> 1973, home box office was launched. Yay. That, wow, 1973, that was... Well, I mean, well, I'm sorry, 72. 72. But uh, that's okay. That's... that's yeah, they're apparently the oldest uh, premium cable channel Ooh. in existence. Nice. So we do have um, a bunch of birthdays today also. We uh, want to remember the birthdays of Bram Stoker, who uh, he wrote Dracula. Uh, Margaret Mitchell, who was gone a with the no, anthropologist. Gone with the no? Margaret... More, oh, this yeah. Margaret Mead. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I did the hey, same I get thing. Half that's of it why right. I had to look her up. And I also got her mixed up with, with Mary McCarthy, did. who wrote the group, who that was also a big seller <laughs> at the same time. So Margaret Mitchell wrote Gone yeah. with the Wind. That's interesting. Okay. Um, Joe Flynn, who is an actor uh, who I Which remember from McHale's Navy, and I'm sure he... Mikhail? He was uh, he was the captain. No, That's no, that was Ernest Borgnine. Uh, Joe Flynn uh, was his boss. He was the guy who they always had to be okay. pulling one over on. Uh, Minnie Ripperton, uh, singer <laughs> yes. of The Impossible Note. Or yeah, one this of the song Loving You, it's like, it's, a, uh, so, it's, it's an amazing note. <laughs> so, you, so you have to be a dolphin or a <laughs> exactly. Ripperton she break or, glass. <laughs> to sing that. Did she? Wow. I don't know that she broke glass. Okay. She broke my eardrums. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Patty Page 
and the 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 pop star and Esther Roll, um, who is an actress who I remember from Good Times, mm-hmm. and I'm sure she did other things too. Um, and uh, and we want to say happy birthday to the living people, Ben Bova, who's a science fiction writer, uh, who's I believe 82 today. Um, Bonnie Raitt, one of my favorite singers who I've been emulating for most of my life. Uh, other musicians such as Roy Wood, Ricky Lee Jones, um, the actresses Parker Posey, Alfre Woodward, and uh, Gordon Ramsay and his daughter Matilda both share a birthday today. Happy birthday to Tom Anderson, MySpace Tom. <laughs> who remembers MySpace? Who has still has a page? Everybody's friend. He, he was always your first friend. <laughs> I know. I know. My first friend, Tom. I still have a page there, I think. My band does. I don't think mm. I do anything on it, but I think I still have a band page on MySpace. Um, and happy birthday to Laura Ann Grace, who's a lead singer of Against Me. Laura Jane Grace, yep. Mm-hmm. Laura Jane, sorry. <laughs> um, and she's a uh, awesome and courageous trans woman. Happy birthday. To all y'all. We want to wish everyone a happy Diwali who is celebrating today the Hindu Festival of Lights. Um, And we are, I don't know, just thinking about light triumphing over darkness and inviting abundance into our lives today. So happy Diwali, everyone who is celebrating. So it is now Wednesday morning, 11.15, and Robin and I are on the phone after dragging ourselves out of bed after staying up way too late last night watching election results how are you doing robin uh how am i doing i don't know i ate and drank a lot of weird things last night i was so nervous i I feel like my brain hurts and i need cheese (laughs) cheese sounds good i could use some cheese Uh. it's so weird when i'm when i'm feeling like i don't know when when i'm in this weird state i usually have like opposite day so instead of like (laughs) veggies and protein i'm like i just need bread and cheese right now (laughs) and then i'll be healthy in like another day yeah i i couldn't really stay up past midnight because normally my bedtime is 10 and and i i had to go to the gym this morning um Mm -hmm. so i did drag my ass out to the gym and, and it was really really interesting because last night i thought they called Abrams, or they called, uh, I don't even know who's running against Abrams, the guy, what's his name, the the, the Georgia um, chief of elections or secretary of state. Uh, or whatever. Kemp, yeah. Kemp, yes. They, they called him for winning the thing. And I get in to the gym and CNN has, has their thing up on the crawl on their lower third saying that uh, that rate, that race is still open and and I and we'll get into that later, but wow. it was it was really interesting to see all of you know. And I'm sitting there on my on the on the stationary bike working out and watching more election results and not being able to hear him talk. But I was very very happy to to see that we flipped uh, the New Jersey seventh district. 
um, Leonard Lance is out finally. That's great. <laughs> I mean, he's not my congressman, but he's the congressman in the town next door to me, which is has a lot more money. Um, mm-hmm. And and I want to give a shout out to the Westfield 2020 group and uh, the Rawway Indivisible group, which was helping the Westfield 2020 group with canvassing the shit out of Westfield and Cranford um, to help get Malinowski elected. And uh, they, you know, and I'm just, I'm just uh, so happy to even be peripherally associated with these people. (laughs) (laughs) I, I really, my energy was not, I was not, I was not gonna, I didn't do any canvassing, but I was cheering them from the sidelines. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and the more you talk about it in any context, I think it really does have an impact, and that's a good thing. Yeah, and and we also flipped uh, the New Jersey 11th district, which is up north, Bergen County, yeah. I was gonna say, I think that's really the power of protest. Yes. Because they um, were holding this weekly event called Fridays with Freelingheisen <laughs> to protest Rodney Freelingheisen and his, uh, you know, not unwillingness to even have a town hall or anything for the longest time. And he had some really bad votes against health care and all, all, a lot of reasons. But did um, he, is that, is the, is the constant protest one of the reasons why he didn't run again? I, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty easy to draw that dotted line. I think it was just like a, a constant sort of uh, beating the drum against him for so long. And then he just decided to not run. So, you know, if that encouraged him to retire or at least from that seat, that's pretty, yeah. you know, I mean, I, I don't know for sure, but I certainly think that could have had an influence. Um, so that's, that's really cool. And down in the second district, um, we had longtime Republican Lobiondo in office who was, in my opinion, not, terrible you know he was uh-huh. he was fine he was there for a long time but um it's really nice to see that uh, become a democratic seat with Andrews. so we flipped the. i didn't know we flipped the second too that's yes. awesome mm-hmm. and i also want to give a shout out to my friend denny fotopoulos who uh i guess his friends that were also in and i think it's keyport Yes, I think he lives in Keyport, <laughs> um, and he's on the city council now. He won, and it's like oh, I'm, wow. I'm like very excited for him. Uh, I, I used to work with him 18 years ago <laughs> nice. at Lucent, and uh, and you know we've gone our separate ways, but we've kept in touch. And now and now he's uh, he's uh, he's on the city council in some form. I, I you know I he's not. It's not my election, so I don't know exactly what position he's he ran for, but he won, and yay. Um, so I'm very proud of him and happy for him. That's um, really cool. And I have to say, I'm also proud of my, who I call my cousin-in-law, <laughs> um, Max Mania. He ran for Benton County Commissioner in Oregon. Um, he did not win. He ran uh-huh. unaffiliated. He came in, it looks like he came in fourth. Okay. But he came in with twice as many votes as, as the Greens and with oh, wow. no, no party affiliation. And, uh, you know, and he's always a um, very politically active person and, and trying to create art and um, good politics wherever he lives. And I, so I just want to say shout out to Mac. That was, you know, good job. So that's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> Um, and I and I and uh, going outside of New Jersey, um, I I want to remind everybody that K 
Kim Davis, who is who was the Kentucky County Clerk. I like that. There's a lot of cuh sounds there. Kentucky County Clerk, who refused to issue marriage certificates for same-sex couples. You may remember her. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> she lost her job to her Democratic opponent last night. And I, I have no small amount of schadenfreude for that. Uh, or schadenfreude. I don't know how you pronounce that. Yeah, yeah. Um, they, uh, there was a, uh, an erroneous story floating around that she lost to one of the gay men who was refused a license. But um, that man who uh, is David Arnold, he lost, he ran in the primary, but he lost, uh, he lost the primary to Elwood, Elwood Caudill Jr., who went on to beat Davis in the midterms. So awesome. thank you for clarifying that because I read that yeah. first story and it, it, it makes a good story, but it's good. It's good to have that clear. I mean, know? he but tried, he tried, he ran, he ran, but he, he didn't make it through the primaries, but the Democrats, the Democrats put her out of work. Um, and you know, if you're not going to do your job, you, you shouldn't keep it. So yeah, I, I don't feel bad. Um, yeah, that's, we, that's good progress. We have a huge amount of, of history-making election results, um, which were conf- compiled um, on a, in a big long article on The Guardian, um, and part of it amused me, because up at the top of the article, they say Alexandria Coasio-Cortez from New York um, was the youngest woman elected to Congress at age 30, except that at the bottom of the list, when you get down, when you keep scrolling down, you find out, um, that the first woman to go to Congress from Iowa is also the youngest person, youngest woman elected to Congress at age 29. So, uh, you know, (laughs) I'm I'm guessing, I'm guessing there's conflicting press releases for this stuff and they didn't realize that, uh, that the Iowa woman um, was not, you know, was, was uh, younger than uh, Alexandria Cortez. So, um, right. <laughs> so that happened. Um, and let's see. We have Ayanna Presley, who's the first black House member from Massachusetts. We have Rashida Tlaib. Oh God. See, she's the first Palestinian-American woman and one of, one of two Muslim women that gets elected to Congress. And I'm going to try to pronounce her name again. Tlaib, maybe. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. T-L-A-I-B. Um, and... and uh, Ilhan Omar is the first Somali-American and also Muslim woman elected to Congress. Mm-hmm. Um, Jared Polis is the first openly gay man elected governor of Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, and Therese Davids, right? Also, did you say her? No, I didn't. I didn't get there yet. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're reading different lists. We've got so much uh, going on, right? <laughs> um, yeah, Sharice uh, Davids is the first lesbian congresswoman from Kansas and the first of the Ho-Chunk Nation to be elected to Congress. I mean, they're they're grouping her and, and Deb Haaland um, as Native American women, but they're from different tribes. So it's, you know, she's, yes, they're Native Americans, but this woman is the first Ho-Chunk Nation, and Deb Haaland is the first, uh, first of the Pueblo of Laguna tribe to be elected to Congress from New Mexico. Mm-hmm. So that's, I, that's beautiful. I, I, and it's also Kansas is electing Democrats, and it's like, yay. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just, that's that's actually big. Yeah, I really. It's huge. It's that. huge. Um, State Senator Laura Kelly um, for Kansas. That's really yeah. I'm I'm happy about that because Kobach was really um, 
I don't know, just putting out so much about election fraud and, and mm. immigration, and it was just such a negative campaign. Yeah. You know, um, so and we have the, the first woman senator from Tennessee. Sadly, she's a Republican. Uh, it's Marsha Blackburn. And this was the one that Taylor Swift was trying to get the other person elected, and she couldn't shift the votes in Tennessee. But I think Tennessee is pretty damn red. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, we have the first woman elected governor in Maine, Janet Mills, and she's a Democrat and she's getting rid of that Trump light guy who was like, just as he was sort of like the, uh, they were comparing, they were, I, I remember in 2016, they were saying, if you want to know what the Trump presidency is going to look like, look at the, the, the guy running Maine, um, mm-hmm. and he's out. So yay. Um, so yes, Abby Frankenhauer is the Iowa Congresswoman who is 29, who is younger than <laughs> Alexandria Cortez. Right. <laughs> the other youngest yes, person. Yes, yeah. um, And Joanna Hayes is the first black Congresswoman from Connecticut. And then we have two Latina Congresswomen from Texas, Veronica Escobar and Sylvia Garcia. And, um, and I, I'm really happy to see, and I don't know the total numbers, but I think we have a lot more representation with uh, people of color and women than we have in the past. We absolutely do. I have an article from the Daily Beast on all the, you know, that this, this is the year of the woman of color, you know, <laughs> specifically. So that's, that's pretty cool. Um, I want to, I'll definitely put that in our notes, but um yeah, I would say it was a good night overall for diversity. And that's, you know, that's a good thing. I was feeling, um, last night when I went to sleep, I was just sort of bewildered. Like, I'm not sure what to think about all these results, you know? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like, it wasn't like a blue tsunami, for sure. Um, no, it's a blue, it's a blue wave of a type. It's a blue something. I don't know. It's progress. It's progress. Uh, and, yeah. I th- and I think it's, it's because there's a huge amount of inertia just in how things are and and it it at least it feels like we got some results for the effort and i'm yeah. just hoping that we can keep the momentum and i know that's going to be the hard thing um and i really want to know I, I don't remember did i mention anything about stacy abrams not conceding the georgia governor race yet because that said we'd we talk more yeah. about it yeah so okay. yeah t- tell me more about that okay um well after i saw that at the gym i came home and i and i had to go look it up and and stacy abrams is not conceding um because she wants every vote counted uh and i think what is it it's Okay, I see. So it's in, in this article, it says, Kemp is currently ahead of Abrams by nearly 68,000 votes with 99% of precincts reporting, according to the CNN election results. But he has only 50.4% of the vote. If neither candidate receives 50%, there will be a runoff in early December. Oh, uh, wow. So it's worth really, yeah, getting oh every Oh my God. Last vote. This is like, this is a nail biter. And... Mm. <laughs> right. Wow. Oh, wow. So I, yeah, I, but if he has 50.4% of the vote, how, I, that doesn't, that doesn't automatically mean he's, that 
Doesn't that mean he's got over 50%? So there It means over 50% right now, but if you count every single vote, oh, that oh, could oh, change that could, a little oh, bit. Oh, right. I gotcha. I gotcha. So she's trying to... So even if he's ahead... Point four is not a lot. No, you know, like it's this. not. It's not. But I, I understand why she's... Okay, that's awesome. And it's, it's exciting. And wow, we're going to have to keep an eye on that. Um, yeah. I'm sure everybody else is keeping an eye on that, too. <laughs> yeah, and I'm trying to find out what's going on with uh, Kristen Sinema uh, in the Arizona Senate race. Okay, is that, that one was, still not decided either? Uh, that was, it looked as if it was not decided, and now the, I'm looking at something right now that's looking like she's ahead, but I'm not, I'm not sure. I have to, it's weird. It was, yeah, it was like, um, okay, so it was saying too close to call. I'm not sure yet. Wow. Uh, we'll have to look at that again. Yeah, because I, a friend of mine posted about it. She is the first out by congressperson. Ooh. And um, he was very annoyed because, like, the, the Greens were taking about 2.2% at that time. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, thanks a lot. <laughs> you know? uh, if she lost her job because of, the you know, um, the, the third party vote or whatever. But um yeah, I think this is it's it was too close to call and it's too confusing to report at the moment because I'm looking at about 20 or 30 open tabs and I'm not seeing um, the most recent information on that. So okay, love to see. But um, I don't know. I have to say either where we had some disappointing losses though last night. Um, the fact that the races were so good is is encouraging to me. Yeah. Um, regardless of the particular result. Um, you know, like I love Beta O'Rourke, actually. I think she's amazing. Yeah, and having more Ted Cruz is not going to be fun, but. No, no, no. <laughs> you know. And Andrew Gillum in Florida is awesome. I really like him. Uh, but, you know, we'll. Um, we'll hear more from them. We'll definitely hear more from Beta O'Rourke, I think. Um, Oh yeah. oh yeah, a lot of people were comparing him to like Obama in '04. Mm. Like he's having a really breakout moment, and it might not be the time, but it it will be. So okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna put hopes in that. You know, Ballotpedia has some very interesting analyses of of uh, and summaries of things that have happened at the state level because some of that is is almost more important to uh, to how things go in the future than than who's who's in the who's in Congress um, we flipped six state houses uh, we flipped Colorado Maine Minnesota New Hampshire oh five oh okay uh, New Hampshire we flipped both the House and the Senate um, in Colorado and Maine we flipped the Senate to Democrat and Minnesota is the House, and New York Senate is now Democratic. Um, and that is going to impact how uh, districts are drawn in the 2020 census. Mm -hmm. So this is really important because that's also going to um, impact the next presidential election. Absolutely. I mean, I know that a lot of the drawing in um, 2000 and is what's really led to 
the difficulties for Democrats now, you know. Oh yeah, and I so, and, and the, the census, you know. Um, so this is this is going to be important. It is. It's a very important, and also, um, I had heard on NPR this morning, and I couldn't find anything in writing to remind me specifically about what had happened. But I know that Pennsylvania's congressional districts were redrawn by the courts because they weren't fair. Mm -hmm. And um, NPR was implying that the redistricting in Pennsylvania is what got uh, got us two seats, got the Democrats two seats in the House because it's a more fair election and it's really representing the actual population of Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. Um, I was really thrilled that they ruled that they needed to redraw those districts and not only did they have to do it, but they needed to do it now for this election. (laughs) Because a lot of times they say, well, okay, you need to get this done, but like within the next five years or something. Right, right, right. Let's do this. (laughs) Yeah, and, and I think there were two other states that were also redrawn and may, or maybe they then that's the part I'm vague about because I think it was Wisconsin and Florida, but I'm not sure. Um, but in Wisconsin, we they got rid of Scott Walker, which I'm over the moon about, and I and I'm sure my brother is happy about that too. That's um, amazing news. I hadn't seen that yet. Yeah, um, yeah. The the governors we have we have flipped uh, the governorships of six states, Illinois. Is these are all Democrat? These are all Republican um, governors that were um, that had Democrats elected. It's Illinois, Kansas, Maine, Michigan, Nevada, New Mexico, and Wisconsin. And having Democratic governors is going to um, impact the governor gets to uh, decide how many polling places there are in a state and how and what the the rules are for voting and all this other stuff. So. Um, you know, we hopefully that these governors will make it easier for people to vote and not put impediments in place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. And um, and in Colorado and Michigan, we now have um, Democratic control of the Secretary of State, which is an elected office. And I think didn't didn't um, New York just elect their first black woman um attorney general uh tish james will become new york's first black woman and first african-american to hold the office of state attorney general after a landslide victory on tuesday winning more than 65 percent of the vote according to early returns by the associated press so yes awesome 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 okay that is very cool one of the things i'm thinking about you know when i do overall I, i i feel um hopeful about this election but I'm really curious about the patchwork laws we're getting in in specific places you know for example we have a great uh, trans law in Massachusetts that a friend of mine was you know really happy about and worked really hard to uh, keep on the books Uh, Massachusetts voters have passed question three Mm -hmm. an expected decision that upholds the two-year-old state law that protects transgender people in public accommodations that's awesome that is amazing in Massachusetts and then we also have like very serious anti-abortion laws in West Virginia and Alabama Uh, yeah Um, you know so it's 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 so weird that we're sort of we have these like pockets of extreme difference, generally, you know, yeah. um, in the country. And it's, 
I don't know. It's just an odd place to be. Well, it's there. There, this this stuff I think got put on the ballots because of the current makeup of the Supreme Court. Alabama, I yeah, Alabama's needs gonna is gonna have to change their name to Gilead at some point mm-hmm. here um, because they also apparently passed uh, the Ten Commandments Amendment, um, which I'm reading right now. A yes vote supported amending the state constitution to authorize the display of the Ten Commandments on public property, including public schools, and establish certain religious rights. This amendment also contained a provision preventing any public funds from being spent to defend the amendment in court. Okay, well, that's interesting. That's that's bizarre, and it, it doesn't seem to coincide with separation of church and state. Yeah. I mean, you can't, you, not using the funds, I guess, is their nod to separation of church and state somehow, but... That's, yeah. And, well, I think the ACLU's probably, because they're already in a, a, post, a, a opposition to this, so I'm assuming they're going to bring a suit. Um, yeah, yeah. And if they aren't allowed to spend public money to defend it, they're going to have to raise money to do that. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, yeah, the abortion policy thing passed. Well, I mean, the 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 Ten Commandments passed seventy one to twenty eight percent, which is huge. Wow. Yeah. The abortion one was fifty nine to forty percent, which is a little tighter. But um, and then they had, uh, then they had something about board of trustees membership for their for the University of Alabama, um, mm-hmm. and then something about legislative vacancies and i'm not going to look that up but <laughs> okay um uh, well one one bit of good news that oregon also had an anti-abortion measure on their ballot and it looked like it was up in the polls like when i went to sleep last night and now it, it was rejected so oh, that's good. that's a good thing oregon came through with that well yeah but the abortion one i you know they're they're trying to do certain things to get scotus to uh to revisit roe versus wade right and you knew that was going to happen the minute they they uh they put kavanaugh on the bench yeah so i i'm assuming you know somebody they it's like all of these the conservative people that don't want women to have abortion on demand um have been looking to test roe for a really long time so the minute they think they're going to get their way on that they're gonna um, they're gonna push something through to to force the courts to to weigh in, and I think you know that Alabama one is gonna be it. But um, I also heard this morning um, when when they were talking about the New York legislature that one of the first things that New York wants to do is to put in place uh, transgender protections for people so uh and that i think is going to be very high up on their legislative agenda for the new the new season the new term yeah you know because no matter what trump tweets you can't legislate someone's reality out of existence you know yeah i know so that's good that people are are taking measures to combat that now yeah it's like and it's it's like the states have to do it because the federal government is is uh relinquishing their their provenance in this you know Mm -hmm. um and i think i think this this is also there's a lot of state legislatures that are that are starting to shore up their um women's reproductive rights 
at the state level. So even if the federal protections go away, um, I know there's, uh, I don't remember now if it's 12 or 24 states that the minute Roe v. Wade is overturned, that abortion is going to be illegal in that state. But uh, the, there's other states where even if Roe v. Wade is overturned, that abortions will still be available for women if they need them. Um, huh. so, so some some people with privilege to travel and money should be <sighs> thinking about helping the women yeah. who are stuck in the middle of states that... You know, there's yeah. no ability to get what they need. So, yeah, um, it's not perfect, but it's we're well. Roe hasn't Roe isn't Roe hasn't been overturned yet, right? Um, and hopefully, well, I mean, we're all expecting it. I think, um, which really really pisses me off. But uh, I don't know uh, what else to say. I think. I think this is this is a good start. <laughs> yeah, but there's a lot of work still to do. There's uh, a lot still to do, so I'm just hoping people stay active and stay vocal and stay just engaged. Yeah, and understanding I mean, what's happening. I but I also I also think that you know maybe take the rest of the year off <laughs> just to recharge the batteries. I already hearing, I'm already hearing people talking about the presidential race in 2020. It's like, can you please just give us a fucking five minutes? Yeah, I would say, <laughs> I don't know about the rest of the year, but hey, it's only know, two it, months. It is, it's, what, it, what is, uh, yeah, like take care of, um, what is the day today? It's like aware, stress awareness day. Yes. Today is stress awareness day. <laughs> so definitely go to the spa or, or take a, take a hot bath or something <laughs> but i think yeah i think no it, honestly um self-care is hugely important um i've seen people seriously burn out and i i have definitely gotten burnt out with activism of various types or but and definitely but i but your point is well taken like people please take care of yourselves first and foremost and then when you have energy to stay engaged and aware um please do I'm excited for the new legislative cycle for next year. I'm I'm uh, I'm looking forward to the Democratic House of Representatives holding Trump's feet to the fire. Uh, I I'm I'm looking forward to them investigating everything and everyone mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, because there needs to be some oversight and there needs to be a little bit of reining in on 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 the the ridiculous. Uh, grab fest that's been going on for the last two years yes in, in the government um uh yeah actually i i first just wanted to read a quote um oh. i had uh tony schwartz who was the ghostwriter for art of the deal is very much dedicated to he he, he feels that he un, unwittingly unleashed a monster upon the earth <laughs> <laughs> he should. Uh, he should feel guilty. <laughs> and is doing a lot. And he's sincerely. He's. I really love his speaking and his um, advocacy for good things in the world. And he's really trying. I think to uh, make up for this. Um, <laughs> but he had a, a really great, great quote. I follow him on Twitter, and he, and he said, "Shining progressive stars who lost in close races have the big future." Better O'Rourke. Andrew Gillum, Stacey Abrams, still contesting, ran strong races in red states. The young shall inherit the earth, and they are overwhelmingly blue. So, 
that's you know i think that was a good summation yes things so i thought that was great We have coming up an interview with Andy Burns. Andy is the publisher of Biff Bam Pop, um, which is a great um, pop culture website. And I've written for them off and on over a lot of years. My friend Glenn Walker um, got me connected with them, and it's a it's a really uh, it's a really great site. And Andy goes out of his way to support the Leftscape, which I I really love and appreciate. Yes, thank you. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) And he has a brand new book coming out called This Dark Chest of Wonders, 40 Years of Stephen King's The Stand. So I spoke with him about um, sort of a a dummy's guide to horror and Stephen King. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not someone who knows a lot about it or has a connection to it, but I'm really, I love his enthusiasm at his enthusiasm and I learned a lot and uh, it was really great talking to him about the book and some other things. We spoke before the election, so I think there's a little blurb at the end that um, indicates that we aren't sure what's about to happen. So um, this is a little bit in reverse order because we've talked about what did happen and then uh, we hear a little bit about his hope for us. He's in Toronto, so he's uh, looking, looking, from slightly outside looking in at the U.S. madness. <laughs> so, but it was a great conversation, so uh, stay tuned. The Leftscape is sponsored by Harlequin and Other Fantasies, a meditative coloring book for grown-ups. Over 30 original illustrations to color, printed on 80-pound cover stock paper to avoid bleed-through with alcohol-based markers like Sharpies. Spiral-bound to lay flat when open. Printed on one side so you can frame your masterpiece without sacrificing another drawing. Subjects include animals, people, mandalas, steampunk, Celtic knotwork, and so much more. Use Leftscape at checkout to get free shipping. See the Leftscape website for details. Purchase Harlequin and other fantasies from wendycards.com. Hello, this is Robin Renee. You can find me online at robinrenee.com. And my music is on iTunes, CD Baby, Pandora, Spotify, and elsewhere around the web. So check it out. And you can like me at facebook.com slash Fan. Tweet at me at spiritrocksexy. And follow me on Instagram at Music. I would love to hear from you. So I am here with Andy Burns from Toronto. I know Andy as a longtime publisher of the great pop culture website, This Damn Pop, which I write for periodically, and he's also been very kind in helping us get the word out on our episodes of The Leftscape. So um, welcome to The left- Leftscape, Andy. Well, thanks, Robin. Thanks for having me. And it's, uh, you know, we, it's funny because, you know, we know each other. We, you know, and we, we, the when I was in Jersey and Philadelphia a couple of years ago visiting our our wonderful friend uh, Glenn Walker, we got we had a chance to hang out, and uh, you know, it's it's nice to be it's nice to be working together to be doing a to be talking to you for your podcast, and you know, it's um, <clears throat> it, excuse me, we have known each other for a while though. Surprisingly, That's time goes by pretty quickly. That's true, yes. We've talked about music and, and some other things, so it's cool to, to 
go into this genre a little bit. So you have a new book out. Um, it's called yes. This Dark Chest of Wonders, 40 Years of Stephen King's The Stand. And uh, is it out now? Um, this will air so, early, like early November. So how is that? Yeah. We'll, we'll so it, it, was, it was originally scheduled to be out in November. Um, it's actually going to be uh, physical copies are going to be it, are going to be out December eighteenth. Okay. Um, it, it's um, it's actually pretty exciting because it's a limited edition print run, um, and we've sold out a thousand copies of it right now, which um, is blew my mind when I found that out. Um, it's with a publisher called Cemetery Dance Publications, that and they are um, they focus on sort of boutique. Um, high-end horror books, they will get, they, they will sort of do um, dust jacket, n not dust jacket, but sort of um, hard um, cases for Stephen King books. So if you get a Stephen King, you know, if, if you get a hardcover copy of his new book, you'll likely be able to get a slipcase to, to protect it. They publish a lot of, of horror authors. They've been around a long time. Um, and in fact, the publisher... Um, and the owner is a guy named Richard Chismar, and he co-wrote a book with Stephen King last year called Gwendy's Button Box. Um, that was a New York Times bestseller. So, um, and I met Richard via the joy of social media via Facebook a couple of years ago when I reviewed his, um, his collection of short fiction along December. And that was in 2016, and it was my favorite book of that year. It was, um, wow. it was a really, it was a really great collection of, you know, horror and thriller and suspense. And it was very much, you know, you, you end up reading, you know, it, it's like anything, any genre that you're into, there's the good, the bad, and in the middle. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, sometimes you end up coming across, you know, just okay stuff. Um, but Richard's book was fantastic. And, um, you know, it really reminded me, I don't know if you ever read any Raymond Carver, but Raymond Carver is a brilliant um, short story writer. His short stories mm -hmm. were, uh, were adapted for the film Shortcuts that Robert Altman did in the, uh, in the early 90s. And Richard Chismire's work really reminded me of Raymond Carver, who had, um, who had a big impact on my writing as I was, you know, as I was a teenager going through high school. Um, so Richard and I became friends, and I woke up one morning in February of 2017, and I had this idea because I knew that, you know, I checked when the 40th anniversary of Stephen King's book, The Stand, was coming out, mm -hmm. and I texted Richard that morning. I said, hey, man, if I had an idea for a book, what would I have to do? You know, and I think, you know, like, it's, it's never easy. You, you've got to come up with a pitch, and you've got to, you know, you know it's, it's, it's you know, trying to, to know trying someone, to, I would think, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's a lot of hope and praying. And, and, but, yeah, you know, yeah. I, said to, I said this to Richard. I said, you know, who, what would you want me to do? And he's like, is it for a novel? And I said, no, I had this idea about doing a book on, the, on Stephen King's The Stand, which is a gigantic book. It is one of his most beloved books by fans. Um, and I said, you know, the 40th anniversary is coming up in 2018. And what if we looked at all the different iterations of that story? Because, you know, the book came out in September of 1978. Um, and then King went back to it in, uh, for um, an expanded edition that came out in 1990. Because hmm. that first edition that he put out 
um, was 800 pages, and they made them cut you know, about 400 pages um, and purely for financial reasons because it would have been too expensive for, uh, for Doubleday to publish a large book, like a 1,300, 1,400-page book. So there's been two versions of the novel. There's been a comic book. There's been the, the TV miniseries. There is an audio book. And, you know, now there's talk of it becoming a Netflix or a CBS All Access series. So um, there was a lot to it. So I just said to Richard, you know, what if we looked at all the, the different incarnations? And he's like, okay, let's do it. <laughs> it was that easy. Nice. <laughs> like, it's ridiculous. It's like you're, you're spoiled, right? I'm totally spoiled. Like whatever I try to do next is not going to be half as easy. But, um, right, that's amazing. So tell yeah. me, what, the, of all the things that, that Stephen King has written, um, why – I guess why is it so beloved, do you think, and why did you choose it particularly to to, to focus on? Um, you know, for me, it's um, it's it's my favorite Stephen King no- standalone novel. Um, and you know, I got it. You know, back I was 13 years old, um, and I got it as a bar mitzvah present. And, and in oh, the book, cool. I write about I write about how you know, you know, I. I'm not a great Jew now, and I really wasn't back then either. And, you know, a, a bar mitzvah is supposed to be this really, like, big occasion where you become a man. And I'm like, geez, I'm 41, and I'm not a man yet. But, um, <laughs> you, know, it, it, you know, I got it as a gift, and, and I remember – I'll always remember it. You know, and in the book I say I don't really remember the other gifts that I got. You know, like, you know, you, you're, given, you're given money as a gift, and, you know, there's – but this one really stood out. And, and, you know, you and I were talking before we, we said, you know, before we were out of the phone, is there anything that I, uh, that I wanted to read? And, and you know, I kind of thought um, unveiling, like, you know, opening up this present that I got um, that I write about in, in the book is probably, you know, not a bad place to sort of, you know, just give a taste of, uh, of, what, of, of this Star Chest of Wonders. So if you're cool with it, I'll just read a little part and it'll give you an idea of, you know, how I was feeling at the time. I would love that. All right. The book was a mammoth hardcover, the likes of which I had never seen before. Though I had been a voracious reader since a young age, conquering my first 400-plus page book at age seven in the form of A.C. Crispin's novelization of the classic NBC miniseries B, the size and scope of the stand was something I'd never attempted. It was bigger than any Bible or textbook I'd seen, and not even remotely close to the other King books I'd already devoured. Paperbacks like The Shining, Christine, and Night Shift or trades like the first three Dark Tower novels that still sit on a shelf in my home today. There would be no traveling with this massive tome in my backpack to and from school, or the hour-long bus rides I would take to visit my father every other weekend. Instead, each night I sat on the brown couch in the living room of the home I shared with my mother, and I read as our world was falling apart, done in by the American-bred virus nicknamed Captain Trips. I walked the streets with Randall Flagg, the dark man. I read and wondered if Stu Redman was actually going to make it through the story. I felt empathy for the trash can man and Tom Cullen, and I marveled at the kind soul of Nick Andros. I was inspired by the heroism and subtle humor of Mother Abigail. And when the hand of God finally came down and wiped out Las Vegas and the evil that had gathered there, I was sad to see that the story was nearly at its end. I felt as though I had gone on a journey along with all the other survivors and somehow came out different on the other side. The book, was, the book was indeed, as King calls it in his dedication to his wife, Tabitha, a dark chest of wonders. Thank you. 
Wow. <laughs> oh, thank you. Wow. That's, you know what? That was the first time I'd read anything out loud. It, it sounded okay. <laughs> yeah. No, that was wonderful. Thank you. Um, so, I, I, well, here's the thing, too. Um, for someone who is a complete novice of horror, who doesn't, who isn't really a fan of horror, can you sort of help us understand what really draws you into that, what, what moves you about it? Or what movie into into horror fans. specifically? In, into the genre? Uh, into the genre, and maybe Stephen King specifically. If he, if, I, and I know he's unique among the writers of the, of the genre in a lot of ways. So, um, but yeah, in general, like if, if someone knows nothing about horror or doesn't get it at all, what is it that you, you find know, so deep? In a, in a way, that's a hard question. And it is because there's so many, you know what, it's like music. There's so many different facets of music. And, you know, you can, let's say, you know, let's say we talk about, you know, new wave, right? Which is something you and I know a little bit about. Um, <laughs> just a little. But, you know, there's, there's subgenres and subparts of new wave, right? right? So, you know, with horror, you know, the stuff that I always loved, the stuff that I got into, you know, I was reading Stephen King when I was a youngster. You know, the book is dedicated to my dad because I read his copy of Christine when I was like seven. And, you know, now if you do that, you know, you're going to get, you know, <laughs> the, the cops are going to come and, you know, question the parents for letting a kid read that. But, you know, <laughs> in, in, the, in the early 80s, it, it didn't seem to be such a big deal. And I liked being scared. And I liked, you know, Stephen King is a brilliant, brilliant writer. Um, and, you know... It's always hard to say, like, what do you love about horror? Why, why are you drawn to it? Because there's, only, there's certain elements that I can't stand. There's certain elements that are really vile and disgusting. And, and, you know, there's certain films that I won't watch because, you know, there was the whole torture porn time of Hostel and, and you know, Saw to a lesser degree because actually some of those Saw movies are not bad. But, mm. you, know, any, you know, anything like that has to do with, you know, body modification, I, I, it is a little hard for me to swallow or gratuitous violence. Like, and I mean really, really violent stuff, you know. Yeah, um, things that I will not go anywhere near personally. Well, I try to yeah. avoid it. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, so, so do I. But you know what? There's, there's, there are facets and there, there are people in the horror community that would swear by that stuff too. And, you know, it's like different strokes for different strokes. For me, it was always been, it's always been, you know, for me, Stephen King is just a great writer uh, who, um, was accessible enough for me to get into at a young age. Um, like, I, you know, I say in the book, I was a voracious reader, and I was, and it just so happened that, you know, my dad had Stephen King books lying around, and my mom would buy me Stephen King books. And, you know, he, he's in a lot of ways easily digestible. And, you know, what also, what's also interesting, though, is his best work, I think, is, his, has certainly come, like, he's not done writing incredible pieces of work. The Stand it was, you know, The Stand is an epic novel, 1,400 pages in its new, you know, in that when it was, um, when it was um, edited and expanded um, in 1990. And that, is, that transcends horror, really. It's mm. not, you, you know, I would say to you, Robin, like, you don't like horror, but you can go read The Stand because that, that is a journey and it's about, you know, it's very... For a book that was written 40 years ago, it, is, it has become extremely timeless in mm -hmm. 
you know, the story of good and evil, which is in many ways, that's what it, it's about. It's about the end of the world and it's how do people, you know, how do you recover after the end of the world? That 1% of the population that manages to survive this really, you know, this debilitating uh, disease that gets spread. And, you know, th there would be no walking dead without the stand. Mm -hmm. Um you know, like the apocalyptic fiction that people are really into right now that's really, you know, become a part of literary circles over the past, you know, certainly the past decade or so, so much of that, it didn't necessarily start with The Stand. There were, you know, there, were, there was apocalyptic fiction before The Stand, long before The Stand, but King just happened to do it really, really well in a way that became, you know, essentially for so many Stephen King fans, The Stand became their book. Um, he, he talks about how, especially during the 80s, people would approach him and ask how the characters were. And he's like, how do I know? Like the book's done, you know? But <laughs> it, was a book, it, it was a book that really resonated and still resonates with, um, with, with people. So, you know, when it, when it comes to horror... Like the, like the best films of any genre or the best books of any genre, it, it, it transcends the horror label. Um, right. That makes sense. It, yeah. It's, you know, and I think that's one of the reasons why so many people gravitate towards it, and that's you know, why, why it's become, you know... Right now there's a PBS series that's going on. I can't recall the, the exact title of it. I think it's like the Great American Books or something like that, and mm -hmm. the stand is on that list. Um, you know, and I'm pretty sure it's the only one that would maybe be classified horror. Don't quote me on it for sure, because I'm not 100% sure, but I'm fairly confident that that's the only one that's on there, and it's because it is, it's, it's bigger than, than a genre. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Nice, thank you. So, according to Cemetery Dance Publications' website, and I think you mentioned this also, the, the limited edition version of this that you, you signed all a thousand copies to, is that correct? <laughs> yeah, yeah, twice. <laughs> I'm sure that was did, I, did I tell you about this? Uh, I no. signed, so unfortunately, we found a typo after I signed all 1,000 copies the first time out. Oh, no. Yeah, Okay, so, no, I didn't know this story. <laughs> yeah, no, so, uh, but yeah, so, the, <laughs> so I redid it. Um, I, shipped them, I shipped them back to the guys. And, uh, yeah, we're looking at, hopefully, uh, that book, it, it's not hopefully, it'll, it'll be out uh, December 18th. The limited edition is sold out, and so now we're kind of hoping to see what, um, what comes next. That's what I was wondering, if, if it's going to reappear in another form for, for people who missed out on this version? Or, uh, so, well, this version, this version is going to be, you know, it's, it's part of, you know, I mean, the publisher, is, they do collector books as well. So the book as it is right now, if, um, it, it is done. Okay. I think though, I mean, there's such an audience for, um, for ebooks at this point that I, we're going to work on getting an ebook out there. Mm -hmm. And then I'm hoping that we'll do something in soft cover as well. Nice. Very, very good. Well, we will definitely keep people posted about that. And I have one more question for you. Um, yeah. And this is uh, shifting gears a little bit. Just, just because you are north of the U.S. border, I would just love to know what does the U.S. political landscape look like from your perspective? Right now? <laughs> Do you have any advice for us poor souls who are dealing with uh, 45 in the in the Oval Office? And uh, Do you remember the conversation? Do, Do you remember the conversation we had a couple months ago? 
we had we were talking on on Facebook Messenger, and and you, you said something about Trump, and I said, "Oh come on, he's not that bad. I kind of like him." <laughs> <laughs> and I really just did it to 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 get you. And you're like, "Oh okay, gotta go." <laughs> That was um, a good one. <laughs> yeah, no, it was good. I was like, God, if there's, if there's any way for me to sort of freak her out, that's going to be it. Um, <laughs> you know, we're, all Canadians are, are totally aware of what's happening south of the border. Um, yeah. You know, I, I kind of held out hope at one point. You know, like I was just kind of... Maybe things will be okay. Maybe he won't be, um, you know, maybe he won't be that bad. Um, and we were all, I was, I, I was totally wrong. And I have a lot of empathy, a lot of empathy for my friends in the States um, who, you know, I, I, my, my politics have, have always been left-leaning. Um, there's a hesitancy, you know, for a lot of Canadians that I know at least to travel to the U.S. Mm. Um, and, and to, you know, to be honest with you, I, I don't, you know, personally speaking, I, I don't really share that um, mm. because, because one, one would hope um, that a country is, yeah, and I, it's not like I'm trying to be profound here, but it's just one would hope that a country is bigger than one guy. Um, mm-hmm. and, in, and in the long run, I think that's what hopefully people will remember. I mean, it's a bad scene right now for, for a lot of people and a lot of folks, I think, who share, you know, philosophical, our philosophical beliefs, you know, and, and just like the idea, you know, for some people, the idea of right and wrong doesn't seem to be as cut and dried as we all thought that it was. But, um, yeah. you know... I don't think I would let one guy stop me from going to New York City, which I love, or mm-hmm. going to L.A. and driving, you know, you know, driving to Laurel Canyon, which I've been thinking about since I finished this book, just to kind of decompress, uh, or coming to Jersey and Philly and seeing my friends there. Like, then, then the bad guy wins no matter what. Right. Um, you know, and I think there's so many people more, a, a million times more politically astute than I will ever be or could ever be. Um, you know, everybody's watching to see what's going to happen in November. Um, I can't say I'm terribly optimistic. Um, mm-hmm. And I would be... We're trying our best, believe me. <laughs> to well, I know, I know, and that's, that's the thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, the one thing, and, 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 you know, once again with that caveat, is like, I, you know, I, there's people who understand politics far, far better than I ever will, but, you know, when, when he won, I wasn't completely surprised, only because, you know, kind of looking back at, you know, eight years of, eight years of Democrats with Clinton, eight years of Republicans with Bush, eight years with Obama, like, it, it, there, there was that kind of trend. Now, I don't know mm-hmm. how anyone looks at that any more than like the observation that I, that I made. But um, anyway, um, we all see what's going on from, from Great White North. I think right now we even, no matter how cold it's about to get here in Toronto, I'm still happy to be here and not there. But I also yeah. plan on visiting uh, a lot sooner than later. That's good. Thank you. Well, we're, we're trying our best here. And uh, 
hopefully you find the more of the entertainment than the fear and that uh, and I hope you're right I hope that um, we'll weather this and we will be in a better better position in a well certainly after the election maybe we'll make some progress and uh, you know get the world on a better track again so we're Fingers we're hoping crossed. for that <laughs> yeah. I hear you. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. And uh, oh my God, thank shape. you, thank you Absolutely. so much. And uh, you know we you always, and you know you always have a home at Biff Van Pop. Don't forget. Thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> I will. I will try to. You know, I I love the fact that you are making space for, for uh, our excerpts and our our blurbs on our episodes, and uh, would love to do more stuff with you too. So That's thank you. Pleasure. been listening to the leftscape podcast find us online at leftscape.com on twitter at leftscape and on facebook at leftscape the leftscape the shape of progressive conversation new episodes every wednesday